Are we, are we live now? I'm recording. You're, You're listening, listening to Mumbrella Cast. Mumbrella Cast. Welcome to Mumbrella Cast. I'm editor Vivian Kelly. Joining me to break down the week in media and marketing is our deputy editor Josie Tutty. Hello. And news editor Paul Warbank. Hello there. And later on, we'll be talking to the DDB executive team about the strategy creative paradox. The truth is you do get great work that doesn't really have any strategy or any insight in it and and vice versa. Providing a fresh perspective. There's a lot of power in that in a way because I think when you walk into a situation, you can see things quite uh, clearly. And how diversity is the key to making great work. Yes, we want lots of women, we also want lots of men, and we want young people and older people and the whole mix. But first, the week's topics. Alan Jones, still on top in the first radio ratings of the year. 10 and 9 walk away from the boss trademark dispute. Federal government makes moves on wicked campers. And 10 wins the Rugby World Cup broadcasting rights. So before we kick off, I think it's worth noting to all our listeners out there that it is my first day back in the office today after five weeks. I've been in Cuba where they only have internet in designated Wi-Fi parks where you have to go and sort of trade on a somewhat black market to get a card to access the internet for one hour. So it's safe to say that I have absolutely no idea what's been going on in the world, let alone in the local media marketing and advertising industries. But I understand that we've had a radio ratings since we I've been have. gone. Uh, and once again, people are talking about Alan Jones. And from what I've been able to work out in my first few hours in the office, there's been some rumours that he might be leaving Macquarie Media and his station at 2GB. So Paul, where are these rumours coming from? And why, why are we suddenly talking about Alan Jones's departure? Is it just his age? Well, first of all, Viv, I'm really disappointed that you didn't travel around Cuba streaming <laughs> Alan Jones for the whole time you were there. Uh, but, yeah, while you've been away, uh, very much a campaign as of uh, News Corp and The Australian about uh, what's the future for Alan Jones. So his contract expired this week. And, uh, in fact, I think it expired on Tuesday. And so a lot of speculation around whether he was going to stay with 2GB or possibly move over to running his own uh, podcast and having a column and a segment on um, on Sky News. Um it's all come to nothing so far, although uh, one suspects that there's a lot of negotiations still uh, going on in the background. No news on what his contract's going to be. So if Jones did leave, and look, let's face it, he has to leave one day, he's getting on a bit, what would that mean for Macquarie Media and 2GB? Well, there's a really interesting history with this, Viv. So we should remember, first of all, that Alan Jones in the 1980s started his radio career replacing John Laws at 2UE. And Laws himself, he was untouchable back then. Um, He was the Alan Jones of the day. Uh, He moved for a short period to 2GB and then after a couple of years came back to 2UE. So that's what happened there was that um, Jones established himself as a talkback star and really eclipsed Laws, who himself was in decline. And so Jones became um, became the king of Sydney radio, 
led to UE to the top of the ratings. And then when he defected over to 2GB in 2002, took that entire audience with him. And I mean, we see in the latest ratings, uh, 2GB took a 13.4% share, well ahead of Smooth FM, which was the next one with 9.7. And um, to you, we just as a footnote, uh, was at uh, 0.6% in its Macquarie Sports Radio um, guys. The short answer to your question is, is that this will uh, this will probably hurt 2GB. It's hard to see who they would fill in that spot. Uh, there's some talk about Ray Hadley, but um, uh, does Hadley have that same audience in that breakfast segment that he has in the morning segment? It's it's a really interesting thing to watch with 2GB. 2GB have had a lot of legal problems because of Jones in recent years, and so that's made him quite a cost item on their balance sheet um, in those settlements. That's nothing new for Jones though. So is it a case of people, agitators, talking about how he's going to leave and if they say it often enough, they'll be right at one time, a bit like, you know, if you say the economy is going to bust enough times, you might be wrong 99 times, but eventually you'll be right and you'll be able to say, hey, I called this. Do we actually think that the motions are in place for him to depart or are we just speculating in the hopes that he does and then we can say, yeah, I knew it? I personally suspect that this is Jones's people planting these stories to push their negotiations with Nine, who are the majority shareholder in 2GB. I, I, I'd be really surprised if he made the jump. But uh, then again, for you think from Nine's point of view, the demographics that they're chasing, uh, the audiences that they're chasing, how well does Macquarie fit into um, Hugh Marx's and their shareholders' view of where Nine is going? Yeah, it's, uh, it may be that they're prepared to let Jones go. Uh, it's going to be really wor- interesting to watch. In the famous saying, the Mumbrella podcast, <laughs> yes. uh, time will tell. <laughs> Wait and see. Now, speaking of nine, Josie, I understand that while I was away, 10 and nine have finally wrapped up their dispute over this boss trademark. Now, mm-hmm. when 10 relaunched at the end of last year, they rebranded their multi-channels 11 and 1 to 10 boss and 10 peach and boss was meant to be an attitude but unfortunately it had quite a striking visual resemblance to the Australian Financial Review's boss product and the Australian Financial Review, a former Fairfax product, obviously now owned by nine. So 10 and nine ended up in court or with legal drama. So where are we at now? So 10 to their credit, did respond very rapidly to the accusations and to the legal challenge and they quite quickly changed, as you say, the the name from boss to bold. Um, I think that definitely helped them in this legal case. Um, so 10 and 9 have both agreed to walk away and to cover their own costs. So it's pretty much done and dusted. I do wonder, however, how well 10 are going to be able to recover from almost just the the reputational damage that has happened as a result of this because they did have to. So they launched Boss and Peach. It was such a big market thing when when they launched and then they obviously just had to change from Boss to Bold and they tried to do sort of a funny press release where they were like, oh, we messed up. You know, we're 10, we're cheeky, it's fine. We'll just be bold now. But I do wonder if it really has caused a bit of long-term damage for 10. I think there's an immediate damage to the um, to the management at 10 as well because they're under a lot of pressure because of the poor ratings that they're getting and you can't help but think that head office at CBS would be looking at this 
debacle, and there's no other way to describe it. They obviously didn't do their proper due diligence on those new names before launching them. Uh, You'd really have to ask that question if you're in head office. What were senior management at 10 thinking when they launched that boss without legaling it first and checking the trademarks, which really is a 101 if you're launching a new business or brand? Yeah, I think you're both right, and particularly what Josie was saying about having to backtrack. And I remember that press release that you're referencing Mm. where they were saying, you know, it's actually better to be bold. And (laughs) I remember thinking at the time, well, if it was better to be bold, you just would have been bold in the first place. And when they were marketing 10 boss, it was very much about, you know, bossing it, being a boss, you know, you're a boss. And people don't use that word bold in the same Mm. way. So trying to pretend that, oh, this is always what we wanted, it's better anyway, didn't really land for me. And so speaking of 10, it's not all bad news, even though I hear that they haven't been rating particularly well while I'm away. The network has won the broadcast rights to the 2019 Rugby World Cup. Josie, you were working over the weekend when this one broke. I suspect it's good news for 10, but also my very, very limited knowledge of rugby is that it's a sport that's got a lot going on as well in terms of trying to draw the audiences that it used to draw in terms of at the actual field and and on television. So they've got a big sporting event, Mm -hmm. which they really need after losing the cricket. But is this the sport that they need to re-establish themselves as a sporting powerhouse channel? I think it honestly depends on what happens within the tournament itself. So I was looking back at the last time the Rugby World Cup was on TV in Australia, which is obviously in 2015. And that was the final between the Aussies and the Kiwis, which drew a lot of attention. Um, Now, because of the time differences when that one was playing, it was actually broadcast at 3am. And yet it still managed to attract 501,000 viewers, which obviously wouldn't be a big audience for a primetime slot. But for 3am, that's actually amazing figures. Um, So it was a big ratings winner then. But I think that's obviously because the Aussies and the Kiwis are in the final. I do wonder what will happen if you know, there's slightly less interesting countries in the final to Australian audiences, but we can't really predict that and neither can 10. Well, yeah, I mean, I I think it's safe to say that if Australia is not involved, our viewership (laughs) will be incredibly low. We we care when we're in it and then once we're not in it, I think we pretty much check out, don't we, Paul? We certainly do. <laughs> and uh, it's interesting with those rights that uh, Foxtel have got the bulk of the rights and uh, they'll, they'll be showing all of the games, whereas the, uh, if I recall correctly, the 10 are going to show the Wallabies games and, of course, the uh, finals. So that's... Uh, yeah. Uh, a, but one of the interesting things that um, occurred to me with this was the fact about the demographics of this, that um, rugby in Australia tends to skew for an older, more affluent, dare I say, North Shore, Eastern Suburbs, Sydney demographic. Um, and that's really uh, it's really a niche. I mean, we've got um, in the football codes, we have uh, uh, the AFL starting next week and the NRL starting uh, this week. Uh, much bigger, so nine with the NRL, uh, they're getting going to get their rating boosts from that. Um, much broader demographic, uh, much more attractive to the uh, marketers and advertisers. And then, of course, the AFL juggernaut starts the following week and uh, that's really going to deliver the audiences to seven. How that's going to fit in for 10 is really going to be interesting to watch there. Right? So, uh, it's really the package that they'll be putting to uh, the advertisers, to the media buyers, that's going to be really interesting, I think. 
I think the other one more thing to note on this is that the Rugby World Cup is going to be played in Japan this time. So they won't have to be getting up at three to watch the matches. It'll actually be quite a similar time zone to Australia. So I think that will definitely help 10. But yeah, as you say, I don't know if the audience is quite there compared to some of the other sporting codes. And also, if nobody's watching 10 at the moment, which seems to be my understanding of what's happened while I've been away... It's going to be an interesting proposition to market to people to let them know that the Rugby World Cup is on 10 because if they're not already watching that station, you're going to have to reach them and let them know by other means. And I'm sure, you know, we'll see billboards and we'll see activations and we'll see or we'll hear radio ads and whatnot. But it just imagine if it was on nine with the audience that Married at First Sight is drawing at the moment, how many people you could easily be letting know Mm -hmm. that the Rugby World Cup is coming up. I suspect 10 will get a bit of a boost from Bachelor in Paradise, but it's still not going to be as much as Married at First Sight and it might not even be the audience that they want for the Rugby World Cup. And on top of that too, looking at it from the other way, that um, 7 and 9 are really good at using their Rugby League and AFL coverage to boost their other shows, particularly those coming up at the end of the season. You can't really see a rugby uh, fan, uh, you know, one of those stayed tweed wearing people from the North Shore uh, uh, really Goodness tuning me, into Goodness me, do you have a problem with rugby fans, Paul? Uh, well, <laughs> uh, as someone who lives on the North Shore, I'm deeply acquainted with <laughs> this uh, demographic. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just can't see uh, that particular demographic tuning into Bachelor or Bachelorette. Well, I will be tuning into The Bachelor, Bachelorette and Bachelor in Paradise. But and rugby? Unsurprisingly, I will not be watching the 2019 Rugby World Cup. You're letting down the eastern (laughs) suburbs there. I frequently do. Now, finally, the federal government, uh, I think lots has been happening in the federal government while I've been gone. Uh, But one of the things that crosses over with our world is that there's been moves on Wicked Campers with Minister for Women Kelly O'Dwyer calling for state and national authorities to work together against the companies, and this is a quote here, outdated, misogynistic, vulgar and degrading signage, end quote. So Wicked Campers is frequently brought before the industry's self-regulatory body ad standards with complaints from consumers about its offensive slogans that you can see on the vans that backpackers are driving around the country. I think they can be a bit racist and homophobic, but they frequently target women and are incredibly sexist and play into and play off rape culture because ad standards is almost voluntary in that you don't have to do what they say you should do if wicked campers were trying to advertise on television then sure they might have a problem because the television networks are you know subscribe to what ad standards says and a part of the AA NA's code and all of that but if you're advertising on your own vans Ad standards can't make you do anything. They can say this has broken the rules and as Wicked Campers does, I don't even think they respond anymore. So obviously the government is trying to get involved. Paul, what are, what are they going to try and do and, and, and how could they even enforce this without it being seen as like an impingement on free speech or curtailing a business? Well, the interesting thing with this announcement, which uh, Kelly O'Dwyer did with the uh, Federal Transport Minister, was that uh, to have a coordinated response 
um, on their registration. So we have Queensland, we have Tasmania in the ACT already threatening to deregister any of these vans that are uh, found to be in breach of and standards guidelines. The real problem with that, though, is South Australia. Um, I approached um, the South Australian government for comment on this. No response whatsoever. Uh, previous outlets that have uh, done this. Um, in fact, I had a wicked campus parked um, down the street from me overnight um, a week or so back. And yep, registered in South Australia. I took deliberate note of uh, <laughs> where that thing had been registered. So this really is a problem. But interestingly, when I contacted the opposition um, spokesperson's um, office, they were very much in support of this as well. So even if the government changes in the election, which we think is coming up in May, uh, it may well be that we're going to see a federal coordinated response on Wicked Campus, and that's going to make it much harder for them. And did anything happen to prompt the federal government focusing on this? Is it... And as I said, I'm not across anything that's been happening in the world for the past five weeks, but there were a couple of news stories that I let myself read while I was away. I obviously kept up with the Cardinal Pell stuff. Uh, I read about Mumbrella's new editorial hires and I read about ScoMo uh, stuffing up his International Women's Day speech and, well, probably in his eyes not stuffing it up. That's that's my editorialising, but him sort of saying that, yeah, you know, we hope that women get equality but also not at the expense of men and men have to keep their spot at the table. I also read about all of the women leaving the Liberal Party and, and resigning ahead of our upcoming federal election. So to draw quite a long bow from somebody who doesn't know what's been happening in the world for the past five weeks, it's interesting that the the shit is hitting the fan with women and the Liberal Party. We've got an election coming up. This issue that's been around with Wicked Campers for actually years and years and years. I've been at Mumbrella almost two and a half years and this issue well outdates me. It's an odd issue for them to pick up to suddenly be targeting outdated misogynistic behaviour. Are they linked? I don't think you're drawing a long bow at all. In fact, I will cynically editorialise that uh, this was a panicked response to uh, what really has been a horrible month or two for the Liberal Party on that front and that image of them being um, maybe not anti-women but certainly less than friendly. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I think this was a thought bubble out of the Minister's office. Um, and, look, we're talking about it. Um, the broad um, response to this proposal has been positive, unlike a lot of other thought bubbles. So uh, uh, they could probably tick this down as a win. Um, it's, But yeah, I don't think it's a, a long boat. But one thing that we should be watching for in the advertising marketing space and the media regulation space as well is that in this run-up to the election, you've got a government that's desperately trying to hold on to power. There's a lot more thought bubbles to come. So uh, we need to watch those front pages of the Daily Telegraph and the Australian to see uh, uh, what responses come out of Canberra over the next few weeks. What fun we will have. Next up, Josie and Abigail Dawson chat to the DDB team. But first, a little message about Pitch to Punchline. Joining us in the studio, we have Shambles Communications, Gareth Eden-Stite and comedian Cam Knight. Hello. Hey, Josie. How are you? Hello. Thanks for having us. That's all right. Now, if you're wondering why Cam and Gareth are here, that's because they're involved in Pitch to Punchline, which takes place on Monday, the 3rd of June, the week of Mumbrella 360, and will raise funds for mental health charity Batir. Cam is gearing up to mentor 20 applicants for six weeks before they perform at the gala event in front of up to 300 members of the industry at Sydney Opera House, no less. 
Now, the event is Gareth's brainchild. Gareth, why on earth did you come up with this idea? Well, why, why not, Jay-Z? I think um, we work in a creative industry. We push boundaries and do things differently. So um, this seemed like a great opportunity to do something different. Um, they raise money for a great cause that's a problem in our industry and also entertain a lot of people at the same time. So why not? And I'm, I'm, you're going to sign up, of course, aren't you? No. <laughs> I, on, I only speak behind the microphone when I'm in a room where no one can see me. Maybe like right can, now. I'll put, a, well, I'll put a screen up <laughs> on the Yeah, on the I'll just pretend I'm podcasting and you can in, have a microphone. in the studio. Yeah, yeah. Um, and on the side facing you, I'll just say, you're great, Josie. <laughs> Like just that have a picture nice. of her she can perform <laughs> behind great. her own picture of course, of course <laughs> you are great I've never said you weren't <laughs> you could be better now Cam yes. are the media and marketing industry particularly funny people who knows we're going to we're going to find that out if I, can, sure. if I can speak on behalf of the media yes. and marketing industry for a minute mm-hmm. I reckon they are well yeah I mean they come up with so many great ideas mm. to, yeah. to market things in the media <laughs> So many great commercials out there. I mean, they're amazing. You've been, you've been in some I've of them. I've been in a few commercials. Yeah. I've done a few commercials, though, mind you, where somebody from media and marketing hasn't done their job yeah. and they've gotten on set and they've said, hey, what are a couple of gags that you could do? <laughs> and I'm like, well, that was probably your job, wasn't it, when you were coming up with the idea? Is that what I'm doing right now, basically? <laughs> yes. It's all about getting the most from the talent, Cam. Yes, That's what yes. it is. Cam, That's say right. something funny right now. <laughs> <laughs> And if you want to become a standout stand-up or sponsor this cracking event, and why wouldn't you, you can visit pitchtopunchline.com. That's two, the number two. Applications close on the 28th of March. And joining us now, we have the team from DDB Sydney, including Managing Director Priya Patel, Chief Strategy Officer Carl Ratcliffe and Executive Creative Director Tara Ford. So just to kick things off, um, over the last seven months or so, DDB Sydney's certainly undergone some management change. Priya, you have now had some time with your feet under the desk at DDB. Are there any changes that you're planning to implement at the agency and sort of what, what were your observations coming in? So I think I walked into what, what I would consider a really functional and brilliant business. So I've very much seen my role as future-proofing the agency and making sure that we're fit for purpose for the next 40 years. And so when you look around the business, we've got these amazing long-term client relationships with Westpac, with VW, with Maccas, with Virgin now and Foxtel. So it's a really strong base to build off. I think our ambition remains to make world-class creative work. And I think DDB has been doing that for a number of years. And so I guess my role has just been to make sure that we keep doing that, to really optimize the way in which we can do that and obviously partner with the best people we can, Carl and Tara, you know, to deliver that. And you mentioned future proofing there. You know, it's it's quite a hot topic in the industry at the moment with all the change in, you know, technology and, and what's happening in the world around us. What do you think the future of advertising actually looks like and and, and how do you future proof an agency? Well, that's a big question. Um, <laughs> and I can't pretend that I have a complete answer. What I would suggest is that the role agencies can play to drive meaningful creative growth for clients hasn't changed and will continue to be a really meaningful um 
position that they can play in market. And when I look at consultancies who come in and are about efficiencies and cost reduction, I think what we can offer in the marketplace is completely different. So we are about stimulating demand. We're about driving growth. We're about bringing new people into a brand and making that brand salient and famous. And so I think our role um, for clients is always slightly different and will have value. And I think a lot of what we do as well is help brands engage both in depth. So how do you how do you talk to people across the plethora of channels that are now available, but also over time. So I think what, again, I think about consultancies or um, management consultancies, it's very short-termist, it's very immediate solutions-oriented. And I think what advertising or creative agencies are able to do is take that five-year, 10-year position and help brands to build for the long-term as well as trade in the short term. So I guess for me, it's not necessarily about reinventing the wheel necessarily. It's just doing what we do better, more nimbly across more channels mm. and having those relationships with clients that endure. You know, you've got to have that partner that, that has that length of tenure as well in order to develop those ideas that can last that long. And Tara, I might bring you you in on this one. A lot of people say that creativity is key and, and, it, and it always will be sort of in developing brands and, and addressing business problems for brands. Would you agree with that? And, and thinking about the future, do you think that creativity is always going to be key and, and the way to help brands move forward? Um, I think that's 100% the case. I mean, we will always be dealing with humans and, you know, humans like to feel things and, you know, we need to provide inspiration and a connection with our brand. So, um, and creativity is the, you know, the best way to do that. You know, it's, it's something very strong that we have in business to differentiate ourselves. And just to take it back a couple of steps, Carl, you obviously joined DDB some months ago now yeah. from, from One Green Bean where you were the CEO mm -hmm. there. What was that transition like? So return to DDB was a bit like coming home. Um, I used to be a strategist. So coming back into doing a strategic role felt, um, it, I wouldn't say it felt totally comfortable, but it felt thrilling and exciting. So to come back to being at DDB um, just felt like a very natural move. It's a, a real passion of mine, strategy. So um, the move, the transition thus far has, has felt great. <laughs> So far, so, so far, good. so good. Well, I don't know. These two, these two may have a point of view it's on that. Felt great, Carl. <laughs> Thanks very much. Come back tomorrow. That's fine. And um, I mean, I'm happy to sort of, you know, anyone jump in here. Being a new management team in an agency, you know, there are obviously a lot of things that you kind of have to work around. But in your opinion, what makes a successful management team? I think there's lots of things. I think. Um, I just want to touch on first the fact that we mm. are quite new because I think there's a lot of um, there's a lot of power in that in a way because I think when you walk into a situation you can see things quite uh, clearly yeah you know from fresh perspectives so I think we've all come in at slightly different times but we've all had that moment where we've gone ah oh, I can see that you know and that's not necessarily bad things it's good things it's things that we think oh it could be a little different or I love this I want more of this um, so that's been really valuable. Um, and I think, look, for us, collaboration is really, really important. Mm. You know, I can't do my job without their help. And, you know, I think that's the same all the way through the agency that, you know, creative needs, strategy and great account management. And I think, you know, working together like that is is brilliant. And letting letting people be their own brilliant selves as well, you know, not asserting too much into a situation but bringing people out, you know, which is different for everyone, every individual. 
Yeah, and I think we've had to like each other, if I'm honest. <laughs> we have to spend every day together bringing together three disciplines of business management, creative and strategy. And in order to do that successfully, I think you have to have a natural chemistry and rapport and a desire to hang out and chat. And I guess we have a like-minded ambition as well, which is we're all striving for excellence. We we all three mm-hmm. in our careers want to make the best work of our lives. And so I guess we've come together at DDB to try and make that happen. And I think it's very much about each of us bringing our skills and our varying experiences to the mix and building something together. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think the total, the, 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 when you start working as a team together, I think quite quickly you can feel whether it feels right, and it does. So very quickly and very early on, all three of us, to Priya's point, have combined and enjoyed each other's company, and we talk about pretty much everything. So there's a trust, I think, that runs through all three of us, which is critical. And a WhatsApp group. Yes. Not at all. Not at all. We babysit each other's kids. (laughs) But I think also throughout the agency, people can see and feel that, you know, you can't fake chemistry. And it's interesting because you you mentioned collaboration. And I think last year, one of my, which which I know I've definitely spoken to you about before, Carl, one of my Mm. biggest observations in, in advertising was that it felt with a lot of ads last year, there was a disconnect between creative and strategy. It just felt like some ads were fantastically creative and and others had really strong strategy but fell down in the creative. How do you guys approach your advertising and campaigns and really bringing that creative and strategy together to make sure they both have equal weight? Yeah, but by working together, I think you think um, something through and then you share that with um, your partners or the people you're working with your creative team and then you you work on that together so it's a um a process that's quite reciprocal actually and you're sharing constantly and through sharing and through being reciprocal you get to a place where strategy and creative connect i think the truth is you do get great work that doesn't really have any strategy or any no insight in it and and vice versa so we work a lot to spend time with each other in order to really nut out what is the strategically interesting thing that we're focusing in on and therefore what is the, the right output that's going to generate that response we seek. Yeah, and I think we, we do encourage creatives and planners to talk a lot and share ideas and, you know, there's nothing better than starting to think about an idea and then, you know, talking talking to a, a planner about, you know, how does this feel? Does this feel right? You know, it's it should be that back and forth. You know, I think that's that's where magic can happen. You know, it's brilliant people sitting together will create more brilliant things, you know. So that's that's what we're looking for. That's the aim, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Creating a sense of partnership, not just across creative and planning, but also across can handling as well. So mm. the three of us are constantly talking and sharing and thinking about mm. an approach. So it's um I don't think any one of us sees the other as a resource. All of us, we see each other as genuine partners. Absolutely. And I think it was in 2017, DDB announced it was planning to create unreasonable growth. And that's a quote that for, for brands, the agency said the advertising industry is being held back by holding on to ideas about how people make decisions is this still a focus for ddb and can you can you shed some light on what these old ideas are sure yes i think it's very much still our approach to how we tackle problems so the the old ideas being 
uh, what we're calling, I guess, a rational mind fallacy. This idea that humans basically make good logical decisions is actually a myth. People don't make decisions like that. They make them instinctively with their gut and through emotion. So I guess what we're trying to leverage with all of the brands and partnerships that we work with is how you connect on that human, emotional, slightly irrational level, mm. you know? And that in turn is what triggers really amazing creative creativity because it's not always the thing that makes perfect sense that is the most compelling. And so that's kind of the, the approach that we take on, on, our, on our strategic kind of approach to clients. I just want to talk about International Women's Day now for a minute because that sort of has, has, has just, just gone. And as always, there's been a lot of chatter around the boys' club in Adland, something that kind of hasn't hasn't changed the talk about it. Priya and Tara, I might might open this up to you. Do you think there's still a way to go on gender diversity in the creative space? I mean, Tara's probably best equipped to talk about the creative space. I'd say overall in agencies, the ambition is there to change the mix and change the dialogue, I guess, around gender so that really, in fact, it's less about gender and more about your ability to do a job brilliantly, whether you're a boy or a girl, and be paid fairly for that role. So I think at DDB, we're incredibly lucky because we actually have a lot of senior women in a lot of senior positions. So I'd say of our nine managing partners, eight of them are women, new business, HR, all led by women, creative department and myself. So I feel like we've gone a long way within DDB, um, but I'd always say there's more we could do. And yeah, I think in particular in creative, that is probably the area where you can still see the most opportunity to make meaningful change. Yeah, I think I think we have come a long way and I think across the industry you do see more females in leadership roles in creative but not at the very, very highest level, you know, and I'd, I would like to see more of that because I think it will change how the whole department feels and how just it will just change things a little bit. Mm. Um but I think it is getting better and it is, you know, it is really important to have lots of different points of view. So, yes, we want lots of women. We also want lots of men and we yeah. want young people and older people and the whole mix because the creative output will just be much more interesting and diverse. So the ideas will be more diverse and I think that's that's what's important. The output is important and the environment also. But, you know, yeah. it's the, the work will change the more diverse our departments are. And I think it does depend on your agency culture, I guess, historically. And again, this is a business I've walked into. DDB is the home of talented and nice. You know, that is our mantra. And I really believe people live by it. And so my experience of that agency and the culture there is one of it's very respectful. It's very friendly. If anything, we're all a bit too nice to each other, (laughs) you know. Um, So I think that that makes a difference to how people feel in the workplace and women or men feeling comfortable Mm. in that space. Mm. And obviously, you know, there's a I've read a statistic recently, and a, a, a lot where agencies lose women is is when they have have children, and and come, re-entering the workplace can be really difficult for mothers. How, as an agency and and as a management team as well, do you make a culture where you you can have flexible working hours for single dads or single moms or working moms and working dads and and whatnot? How do you, how do you you know make sure that that sort of is is sown right through the culture as well 
Well, the, the, the main thing is to make it policy. And I think we're getting better at that. I'd say, again, flexibility is a thing that you'd strive for for everyone, right? I actually believe people work their best when they have options to optimize for how they like to work. So if that means coming in le- later and leaving later, if it means working from home some days, if it means you've got to do pick up on Wednesdays, flexibility, I think, is really crucial to keeping the whole workforce incredibly happy. Again, we are pretty good at it, I'd say, at DDB. So um, I work a nine-day fortnight. One of my managing partners works a four-day week. The head of HR works a four-day week. You know, we've got lots of examples of people that just have different routines and cadences that fit around their their own personal pressures. And I think the more, as a business, you can try and cater for that, the the more likely you are to retain the best staff and keep them happy in the long term. And obviously that is a balancing act. We are a service business. Mm. We're a client servicing business and they have pressures and requirements. But I think increasingly technology means you can be responsive and not attached to your desk. And I think agencies are our understanding of that and kind of go, as long as you're delivering what you need to deliver and you're there when you need to be there, um, you can be anywhere, just get it done. Yeah, 100%. And I think, you know, I will, when I can, I will take a day off and work at home. So I won't be in the office, but I'll be working at home. And when I do that, I'll make it obvious I'm doing that because I think that's a good message to send out. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like we're all grown ups. We know if we've got a big meeting or something's happening or we need to be working together on something in the same room, then we don't take the time off, but, you know, away from the, away from the office. But, Occasionally when you can do that, I, I think it's a great thing to do because, you know, people, as you as you were saying, Priya, do not work their best when they are completely, you know, never have a different a different space or a different headspace, especially creatively. I think, you know, you need different input and that is not always sitting at your desk. I think that's right. I think this is something I used to um, practice at One Green Bean and, and, and certainly practice with the planning department now, the thing about being Flexible is be flexible. Mm-hmm. So I'm, we have, I have a number of planners who've come back to work in the last 12 months who um, are working mums. Um, and I think it's it's really important to just check in to make sure it's still working for them. So we do that quite regularly, actually. I think you have to be in the 21st century. You've got to be flexible. Absolutely. And I just want to take it uh, sort of take a back to creativity and, and strategy yeah. for a second. <clears throat> Something that we discuss a lot in the office here and on our podcast is is ad standards and the way ad standards shapes creativity and and ads that happen within our industry and the ad that you did last year the Volkswagen too powerful tv ad which was one of my favorite ads last year I was big fan loved it was great um but I, I just kind of wanted to to put this to you I know when we we saw the ad I didn't at first kind of expect it to be banned as I thought you know you 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 shaped it around it not being banned um but does your creativity and your strategy for that matter ever feel restricted by the ad standards board i think sometimes creatively if the if the box is smaller you you actually get more creative Mm. you know it, it just it just depends i mean in that case it gave us um it gave us a very interesting way in you know it's that car was the most powerful ute in its class and instead of showing the power, we we purposefully did something where we didn't show what it could do, and then we, you know, mm. found a kind of creative leap there. But um, 
Look, I think it's just part of our lives. I don't really think about it, you know, to be honest. I just think, you know, you think about ideas and then you work out how you're going to execute it and, you know, sometimes you can use that to your advantage or skim quite close. Um, it's part but of no, context, it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's not, it's, I don't think it's something that really you think about when you're thinking about creative. No, I don't think, I don't think you do strategically. I mean, I, I think it's, it's part of the culture and context into which you are um, – uh, putting ideas and brand thought, so you, you 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 might think about it a bit, but it's certainly not foreground. It's not it's not something that you go to immediately if you're figuring out what strategy is. Absolutely, and uh, I mean, just to sort of round this all out and 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 wrap this up, uh, kind of put this to you: if if we were having a conversation in you know maybe three to five years' time as mm. as a management team at DDB, what would you be hoping to be talking about then? That's a great question. Mm. I try. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there's a, there's a couple of things that I'd throw out. So one, I would want people to say that DDB was the place where they'd made the best work of their lives and they loved working there and that the work that they made was world class. You know, like I want it to be famous. I think we all want it to yep. be famous work that people are really proud of. And I think that's the endearing um, benchmark that we're all trying to hit which is in three years time in five years time I want to made the best stuff that I want to tell my mum about and show all my friends you know that would be a win for me totally and I think you know with that would be very effective work so very creative very effective and also a huge enjoyment to just echo Priya you there are moments certainly in my career when I look back on I go I had a great time there I first met um, Tara at TBWA in London, and that was a fantastic moment in time. This is also another fantastic moment in time, but one would hope that people would look back similarly on their time at DDB and think it was amazing. Yeah, I think in a nutshell it would be to have DDB Sydney on the global map, like a place where clients were really interested in great talent, um, effective and amazingly creative work and people that really enjoy themselves. I mean, I think you can see that in work. You can mm-hmm. see when people enjoy themselves. So, um, and look, we get up every day. We work, we work really hard. You know, you spend a lot of time at work. I think we all want to have a good time while we're doing yeah. amazing work. Um, and, you know, happy clients, like everyone happy. Yes. So. Yeah. Good. Well, unfortunately, I think that's all we have time for. But thank you so much for joining us. Really thank you, appreciate Abby. it. Thank you for thank having you. us. Thank Thanks. you very much for having us. And finally, have you seen the recent Mumbrella ComsCon program announcements? The program this year is massive, bringing six international keynotes from all over the world, tackling some of the most challenging taboo topics we've ever endeavoured to cover. From mental health to global crises, and honestly, almost everything in between, you won't want to miss out. Grab a ticket for the event on March 28th from mumbrella.com.au slash comscon. That's all for this week, though. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Thank you. Bye.